0: This is Jamal. This is your boy, Adrian. Yo, this is Michael. Thanks for tuning in to The Daily Jam.
1: This is your boy Adrian. I'm here by myself today. Solo dolo mano imano. It's just you and I, me and you, whatever English grammar phrase you want to put out there, it's just you and I today talking. Uh, I fired Jamal and Michael. Um look, they've been getting on my nerves. And if you've listened to the podcast, which you should be doing, Every single week, every time we drop an episode, then you would know how they like to get under my skin because I am OCD and a stickler for pre-production meetings uh, and make sure we are producing great content for you awesome, awesome listeners and fans out there. And so I've had it this week and basically I told them last week that they were fired and I was taking over the show uh, and I'll be hosting by myself. So um, that's where we are. That's where we're going to be going forward. And by going forward, I mean, that's just going to be this week. Uh, <laughs> so that's kind of where we are uh, I got a few things I want to talk about before we pick up with part two of our amazing interview with my mom Helen Jones Kelly um, but before we get you over to that let us get it ready for uh, some birthdays okay
2: birthday this, week, birthday this
1: week this week Um, For the week of May 24th, which is Sunday, uh, today, uh, we got a few birthdays, uh, and you know we at the Daily Jam love music, love, love, love music, and so uh, Miles Davis, uh, Lenny Kravitz, uh, and Bob Dylan all have birthdays this week um, specifically, Um, and so happy birthday uh, to all those good folks um, out there, or those, not those good folks, those amazing Musicians and artists out there So happy, happy birthday to uh, Bob Dylan, Miles Davis, and Lenny Crappets. Uh There are two important birthdays this week that you should not miss uh, They are on the same day So there is no excuse as to why you can't give them a shout out uh, Well, there might be one slight excuse uh, John F. Kennedy is deceased um, And he's buried at Arlington National Cemetery But the other birthday that is on May 29th Is yours Truly It's me. It's my birthday. May 29th. Uh, I am turning the big. And so I'm really, really excited about um, this birthday year. Here's how you can support me on my birthday. I'm not going to give you my cash app handle or Venmo or any of that kind of stuff. Don't want anything whatsoever. But I do want you to support our T-shirt campaign because, as I said, we are raising those funds to get graduation gifts for foster youth. So please, 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 if you have not already done so, Please go out to our website uh, or go to our social media pages. It's all over the social media pages to please purchase a shirt for yourself or for your young one uh, as we use those proceeds to get graduation gifts and swag bags to all of our foster youth who are graduating this year. And I thank you. Thank you. Thank you uh, for that support. It's uh, it's been amazing. Now, also this week, um, which is tomorrow, um, is Memorial Day. And I just want to take this time to say um, to all those who have served and died in uniform, including Staff Sergeant Ernest Ray Macklin, or my father, um, who is deceased, um, I'd like to say to all of you out there, uh, to your family and friends who have served and are no longer with us, happy Memorial Day. I understand that we, we sort of have gotten away from the true meaning of it and that we use this time as an extra day off, um and to hold barbecues, uh, and to get together with friends and family. There's nothing wrong with that. But I would think that especially during this time, uh, during the pandemic, uh, that you take the time to recognize the true meaning of uh, May um, uh, 25th, which is uh, Memorial Day. And so, happy Memorial Day to each and every one of you. Um, Before I get out of here, let me just kind of preface the show for those of you who have didn't um, listen to part one. You need to listen to part one. It's an amazing part one. We had to split the episodes up in two because there was just so much content to get to uh, regarding the Gabriel Fernandez story, and so that's what we did. Uh, When we get ready to come back from this commercial break, we're going to pick up on part two of our conversation with Helen Jones Kelly about the Gabriel Fernandez story, but more importantly, some things that we can do uh, in the child welfare system to improve upon it. Uh, We recognize that child welfare is here to stay. We recognize that foster care um, is the last resort and we wish we could have a home for every single uh, child or young person that needs it but until we compre- completely uh, abolish it through lack of uh we don't need it anymore we have to improve the system that we have and sometimes that includes coming up with some radical and flexible approaches I hope that makes and made sense it made sense in my brain before I said it out loud yeah I it really did and so as I get ready to get out of here let me tell you this Um, it's a great, great conversation with my mom. Um, and I wish you all the best when we come back from this commercial, we are going to go into part two of the Gabriel Fernandez story. Um, I love you all. Maybe Michael and Jamal will be back next week. Maybe because I don't know how I did uh, by myself today. I think I did. Okay. I'll see you next time. This is the daily jam.
0: One of the things I've been saying for years, or been asking the question for years or wondering, um, is it necessary for a person to do this job to have a degree um, or be licensed? Um, or what about people who are really passionate about children and want to work? And th- that, that's always been something that's very interesting to me. I remember when um, Ohio was switching over to the licensing piece and all public employees had to be licensed, and we went through that process. And I I began to think about this at that time, and this was, oh my God, probably almost 25 years ago or so. Um, One of the things I noticed is that there are a lot of people who passed the test, but didn't like children and families, and they weren't really good at doing their job. There were a lot of people who did not pass the test, but they were really, really good at working with children and families. And so it always had me questioning, is being licensed to do this job or having a degree Is that as important as people who, you know, are just passionate about other people? Any thoughts on that?
3: that, Yeah, and that that, that is such an important point, because thinking back again to how this business became formalized from an animal cruelty system to a child welfare system. And the system, the informal system that operated for years, it wasn't just, you know, when this all started, the case of Mary Ann didn't, didn't make everything happen. There were children for years who were orphaned, um, who were in need of assistance from someone other than their nuclear family, who were taken in by other families. Yep. I raised a foster daughter um, before, the, before we got involved with the system. Um, and this young woman um, was someone whose father simply left her home alone when he was gone off, either drinking or sometimes working. Um, She was raising herself. She was 12 years old. And I stepped into her life um, without being a licensed, uh, trained social worker. I was a caring adult. um, And that happened a lot in the lives of children. I'm not a believer that you have to have gone through a process of getting licensure to do this work because in my experience, I've seen a lot of professionals who really were passionate about kids who knew how to reach them where they were, who knew how to talk to them um, in ways that a lot of the trained people did not. So I'm a firm believer that there's a different uh, set of characteristics that we should be bringing into this field that has nothing to do with the licensure or the training. That can come afterwards, after we've identified the right people. Then we can build in some additional training support to keep them in the field and, and, and to heighten their skill set. Um, but, Michael, I, I, I kind of agree with you that I think we go about this work. This is about people. I think we go about this work the wrong way. This isn't about driving a truck or doing some other technical kinds of things. This is behavioral health. This is, this is people science, and it's a little different uh, than we're uh, addressing it currently, I think.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: I I'm a radical. <laughs> well, I think you might fit right in on this podcast then, too, <laughs> gentlemen. What what were some of your over overall thoughts of just this this documentary? I know we kind of you know text about it while we were kind of watching it and stuff like that. What? Oh,
1: I was, I was, I was one. It was very emotional for me um, because Gabriel remind reminded me of m- myself when I was a little boy, uh, not to the degree and the extent of the abuse. But then his case itself reminded me of a situation that involved myself and my, my nephew. And so in this situation, I was the caring uncle who had stepped in to take care of my niece and nephew a number of years ago and had to deal with the system itself. And so this um, documentary upset me a lot um, because I felt like some of the relatives did where you are constantly raising concerns and you do not want to remove a child from their home if at all possible, and you want to have that family preservation. But the frustration that you that I kept having over and over watching the documentary is, you're constantly bringing something to the attention of the people that you're that you're being told to you should bring it to their attention, and then it goes nowhere. And in my situation, you, I was like, oh, man, I'm having a little bit more success because I'm known in this in this particular system. I'm known in this particular county, so I've kind of come up in the system. So my concerns, I'm a little bit versed in the the lingo and the bureaucracy, and yet some of the same problems kept happening to the extent that it was like, look, this happened again, and I actually had warned that this was going to happen again. And, I, in fact, I warned that at the particular hearing before they were sent back to uh, – uh, their mom, and that was the most disheartening thing about um, this documentary. Uh, the other thing um, that was concerning um, about this document that had nothing to do with me or or my situation itself was the audacity of the parents to continue to send Gabriel to school, looking like that. And I don't know how I I don't know how I could process that emotion, but there is some type of to me arrogance in. Uh, I can't describe it, some type of arrogance knowing that you have done this to a little boy and still send him to school as if he's this normal, healthy-looking boy and he is clearly going to school with black eyes, clearly going to school with bruises all over his head, clearly going to school with his head shaved, clearly going to school looking like he has been in a fight all night with adults and they're still sending him to school. And so to me that that spoke to some type of selfishness or arrogance saying, yeah, we did it, but there's really not much anyone's going to do about it, if that makes sense.
3: Can I jump in here a second? Because, you know, I'm glad they sent him to school because what might have happened had they kept him isolated and not sent him to school, you know? And it sounds weird for me to say it that way because of what happened to him ultimately. But this sending him to school possibly prolonged his life. And the thing that struck me was even though he had all of that going on, he was going to school, he was smiling, you know? You, you, you think about how loving that child was. He continued to smile through all yeah. of that. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah.
0: He was re- incredibly resilient, young yeah. man. I mean, that, that yeah. was amazing to me.
1: Yeah, I don't mean to say that I didn't want him going to school, but it, I was thinking yeah. strictly from the, the parent yeah. part. And speaking of that, Mom, the part that got me the most, that honestly, for those out there listening, that got me to crying was when he was posing for the photos with the letters. Yeah. Oh. That yeah. that got me because the, te- the way the teacher was describing it and how, like, despite all that he was currently going through, he still was performing for her. Not performing, but still expressing to his mom how much he loved her. And mm-hmm. it was ironic that I tied us all together that, like, the last time that he was in school, he had completed a Mother's Day project. Yeah. And here we are recording right. and talking about this on Mother's Day. And that was the last thing he did yeah. with the house and the flipping of the picture. Like, the, I, I completely lost it. I, I had to pause <laughs> myself.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think what, what got what, what struck out to me uh, the most being uh having friends in education, being around educators and training foster parents. Like I just did uh this last week a whole round of pre-service training and you know I'm telling them, you know, once you become a, a foster parent, you know you're a mandated reporter. Right. And I'm I'm I feel for this teacher, his teacher, yeah, who called repeatedly who called repeatedly and i feel for it because this is this was the outcome right even in the te- her testimony at the sentencing she said you know gabriel was number 20 in my class and i don't give anybody yeah 28 28, I mean, 28 yeah number 28 in that class mm-hmm. yep and i give nobody yep. that number to honor him and to think she did everything she felt was in the right vein and this was the outcome Unfortunately,
1: Same thing with the security guard. And I just think of yeah. our, our job center mom that we have there in Dayton of how many families come through that. I remember I used to work in that building, but how many families come through there. And you may or may not notice that children look either malnourished, they look like they're neglected or sometimes how the parents talk to them and that how the security guard in this particular documentary had referenced that he noticed that there was something eerily, eerily wrong with this young boy and reported it, but then was told not to uh, pursue it. And so that kind of struck me.
0: Yeah, yeah. My, my, my thought, it, like I said earlier, it was really, really difficult to watch. Um, working in the field for um, around 30 years, I think I've been, uh, have committed my, my life to this field. Um, and to watch and to see how every single area of, of the system failed him, was really just almost too much to kind of watch, you know. Um, I mean, just the system, just no excuses at all. Even though that is by far the largest system in the country, and I can only imagine what their caseload size are, and, you know, um, you know every system, I think, in the country lacks resources to do the work well and properly. Um, there was just they knew too much not to have done something. I think there was a line in there where one of the um, consultants—I can't remember what her role was—but she said that if you took, if you just took the things that they knew, they had enough to do more. Yeah, to know that they didn't, you know, do more. Like for no one, it appeared to be a sense. No one seemed to have a sense of urgency about right. this particular. Okay, right. And I think that probably. Um, stressed me out the most. And so Ms. Helen, my question for you is, I mean, you have run, you know, state systems. How, how do you get a bunch of people um, to, to kind of care about, you know, these kids? Because it seemed like that if anybody would have saw him as a, a person and not just a number or not just another case that had come across their desk, it seemed like somebody would have done something differently um, and this kid would, would be here with us today. How, how do you get people to have this sense of urgency or to to care about what they do?
3: Yeah that uh, I was struck in the same way that you were, and I think this is one of those really horrible situations where where everything that could possibly go wrong went wrong and when i when I say that I mean in terms of who were the people involved, um, what were the rules, uh, what else was going on um, it's hard. It's really hard to reconcile the fact that no one in that entire group of people, no one expressed the level of urgency and was willing to step over the line if necessary, even in terms of when you go to visit and you don't see the child. I mean, how do you how do you how do you reconcile that? Yeah, that was um me. That that was really hard for me. I had so many questions as someone who has worked in the system. I had so many supervisory kinds of questions to ask. Um, I didn't I didn't understand where there was not a conversation or several conversations with the child, um, you know, at the school. Or there were so many lost opportunities Man. that it almost seemed that there was a whole group of folks. Who just didn't care. And I'm not trying to indict the system because I know the system is filled with a lot of caring, loving, compassionate adults. But in this case, every single thing that could be wrong about the system converged on one single case. Yeah. And it's very disturbing. And what's even more disturbing is then it happened again.
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: You know, yeah. lessons learned. Where are they? Where are the lessons learned? Because it's still the same basic set of questions that I have about contact and and, and eyes on child and follow up and follow through and not just checking a box. Because the people said they thought they did their job well. And Mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, what happened with, you know, the the court after the fact, you know, there, there was nothing to tell them they didn't.
1: It's yeah. a simple phrase you just. A simple phrase you just said that I just wrote down. Eyes on child, like yeah. I, just making sure you have a chance to look at that young person as a child. Um, because I, I think what began as you know, there's so many breaking heart moments, but when you realize that when there were workers who were in the home, and he had been placed in the cupboard slash closet area. And, like, had they just said, let me see the child, just make sure everything's okay. Uh, and one of the, and speaking of, you know, there being good workers who are very passionate, I, be- I believe, and I'm glad they added this. And there was a caseworker who was there saying, hey, you know what, we got a report. I just want to make sure everything's okay. Let me look at your cabinets. Let me sh- make sure check the water. She checked the kid and everything. And Everything's good. Here's what I should suggest. You should kind of look at this. And you could tell that she was very thorough and she was uh, very interested in making sure that, one, the child stayed Uh, with the family, but also make sure that the baby was okay. But two, you could really care that she cared about the parent itself. And in Gabriel's case, it appeared that they literally just took the mom's word for it and did, didn't put eyes on the child to see that he obviously had some, some significant injuries and bruises.
0: One of the sheriffs did that too. When, when he called or followed up and she had mentioned that he had moved to Texas or she had sent him to Texas or something like that. Just assumed that was, yeah. But I I think, you know, to me, this Mm -hmm. kind of goes to that whole piece of, you know, um, is, is this work really about a bunch of rules to kind of follow and policy? Um, or is it really about kind of heart? Like, I think the biggest frustration in the 30 years that I've I've done this work is, you know, um, they, they try to legislate everything. And I mean, it, it like to me, you don't have to, if, if I care about something or someone, you don't have to have a policy around it. You don't have to legislate me to do it. It doesn't have to be a rule. You know, if you really cared about children and families, you would do your work differently. And so no matter how many policies we have, no matter how much legislation, you can't legislate people to do work from the heart. And that, you know, to me, at some point, this field has to kind of realize that and start really seeking out people who have a heart for this work and not just focus on developing a new set of rules and papers. The interesting thing is that every time people talk about policy, I said, ask any worker. I can guarantee you there's not one worker in your organization that knows any policy. Because that's not what you teach. That's not what you really kind of train. Nobody really knows the policy books. Most people don't even know where they, how to access them, you know, or where they are, you know, stored, you know, or anything like that. And I mean, some things are just common sense. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have policies, we shouldn't have legislation or laws or anything around this work. I'm just saying that when systems focus on that, um, and I think that's what you know. That's why these workers were able to get by and say, "Yeah, we did what our policies." suggested we do. And there was still something, you know, left out, you know, where, where this kid um, was able to be tortured uh, and then eventually murdered as a result of
2: that.
4: Now, I don't know if, I don't know if it came out after the fact that the mother had some, some real issues about, you know, remember she said, well, they said in the documentary, when he was born, he didn't want her. I mean, he didn't want him. Right. She yeah. She didn't want him. Mm-hmm. And she lived with grandma, and grandpa, she lived with uncle. He lived with um, a number of other family members before going back to, to live with mm-hmm. before going to live with um, eight his months, mom eight and months um, prior to his death. Yeah. So I, I don't know as a as being in child welfare, you think that when they do the case consultation and they do the you know all the frontline work all this stuff would have came out. Like, it's hard for me to believe that no one questioned that he wasn't living with his mom in the beginning, you know? So like, to me, that would have thrown up a red flag. I don't know, Miss Miss Helen, what do you think about that?
3: No, I totally agree with you. You know, that, that initial bond between mother and child is very important. And there are cases where women go through some trauma Um, some postnatal, some postpartum uh, stresses uh, that may interrupt the bond, but then the work is to make sure that it gets built somehow. And that would have been a red flag. What is now the level of relationship between mom and child? Um, And that that should have been part of the plan for helping this child be in mother's supervision. You know, so that even makes the question or the lack of the question or when they would show up to visit, make a home visit, and the other kids are there, but he was never there. Well, where is Gabriel? Um, because I would be harping back to the fact that I remember that first initial bond was kind of tenuous. So where is he now? Is he still living with mom? Is he parceled out to someone else? That would have been an important question to ask because of that prior knowledge. Uh I don't think that um, the information was documented well, nor do I think that people who had the responsibility in this particular case cared enough to connect all the dots on his behalf.
1: Right. And speaking of, this is the question that I definitely wanted to ask you because of your current role as the director of Adamus. And for our listeners out there, Adamus is the, oh, I shouldn't have said that out loud. Uh, I know it's I know like alcohol addiction mental health mm-hmm. addiction mental health services did I get that right yes sort of Close Any, enough. anyway <laughs> but anyway the, I just know it as the adam sport but so one of the things that they raised in the documentary was about something Jamal had talked about is about pre I want to say pre-existing conditions uh, that Miss Pearl had the mother of Gabriel I don't want to make her to seem like this God awful parent, because she did some terrible, terrible things. I get that. I recognize that, but there was also a lot of trauma and a lot of generational stuff that happened to her. And oftentimes that can be repeated to children. And this is also national mental health, mental health awareness month. And so I was wondering how do we address or how do we help families when there could when there is documented history or as in I'm putting air quotes here, generational curses because I think about how abuse and neglect can happen from generation to generation and that can also lead to generation after generation being involved in the child welfare services because some of those issues aren't properly addressed to kind of stop that from, from happening again, if that makes sense. That was a bunch of mouth jargon. It made sense in my head when I asked it.
3: No, it makes sense to me as you're asking it. And I'm not, I'm not a, a trained clinician or diagnostician, but I do pay attention to human behavior. And I think that there was enough evidence here to suggest that mom, I mean, you know, and I only, I watched the, the documentary, so I haven't seen any case notes or anything of that nature. But my first thought about mom, was that mom has some some real narcissistic tendencies,
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, you know? And I I, I I can't you know say that I I. Am can a run for president. Who can say that, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not gonna touch that. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say I've seen those that I've seen some of that in some high level positions, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you know, but there there was enough there again, experience case managers might have picked up on that had they been spending the kind of time and attention with the case that they should have. Um, Again, not trying to indict a system, but again, the lack of experience in this particular case. And as you all noted early on, the first caseworker was somebody who wasn't even licensed yet, I don't think. I think she was still an intern on, on what I saw on screen that got ended up getting that case as her very first case uh, without the supervision that was necessary. Um, That said a lot because you, over time you begin to pick up on little things without having all the training and the, as you said, Michael, the policy attention, you're, you know, and and we want to be careful in saying this, but sometimes your gut can tell you a lot. Mm -hmm. And when you can match gut instinct or reaction, to what you know to be some of the science. You have to, you, you, you have to say that there's, there's some value in, in that. And I know there's some scientific kinds of algorithms and things that people have developed over time, but you've got to match that too with gut um, when you're dealing with human behavior in this way because of all the cultural uh, considerations that we have when we're dealing with populations. Um, all of that got missed in this case. Mom did indeed have some things going on, as do you know. One in three uh, Americans, <laughs> anyway. You know, right. we all have something going on. The lack of attention to that, especially in terms of the initial relationship with this child, uh, again threw up a red flag that is unforgivable.
0: Yeah, that you know that 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 was interesting to me because I, I my one of my biggest concerns about people who are not in the field as they watch this particular uh, series of of, of uh, this documentary, is that they're not going to have, they're not going to kind of understand some of the things that the parents have kind of gone through and how that impacts how you parent. While I am not by any means, and I don't think that anyone could ever justify what they did to this, this little boy, um, I think understanding that and understanding mental health issues and having the resources and the tools to help people who are struggling like that is going to be um, really important because I think this is how the pendulum sways from one side of, you know, of the, you know, let's help, you know, families stay together to, oh my God, families are horrible. Let's move all of those kids and place them all in foster care type of thing. And that's kind of how public opinion normally does. But one thing that I want you to kind of weigh in on, Miss Helen, that this is, Probably the part that I struggled with the most, and I'll, I'll share some of my thoughts on it too. This was the first case in the United States where people from the child welfare system, social workers, supervisors, were charged um, with, um, uh, in, in, in this case, they were charged, the, the workers who were involved were kind of charged um, and kind of taken to court. Of course, they kind of lost their jobs as a result of that. Um, Interested in knowing your thoughts. Do you think that the workers should have been fired? Do you think that they should have been uh, charged after kind of seeing what you, know, what you saw, all the mistakes that they made? What, what, what are your thoughts around, should they have been fired? And then uh, I want us to give our thoughts around that as well.
3: In this case, which I, I, I agree is a rather extreme case, I think that there truly was a dereliction of duty. And I, I hearken back to, I think it may have been um, Adrian who mentioned the, the, the worker. And that was, I remember the, the, the segment, she was in segment five, the investigative worker who went out on a foster care complaint. yep And she went through all of the rules, but she did it in a way that weren't off-putting. And really, we very engaging in talking to that foster mom yep. about why she was there, what she had to do. She looked at every single thing in that apartment, um, all the while teaching as she was going through her process, right? Yep. This is why I'm doing this. These are the kinds of things you need to look for. And even before she left saying to her, you have this. Um, conflictual relationship with this person, they're probably going to call us again. Yep. You may want to cut off some of these people in your life who may be toxic for you. I mean, the whole, it was a teachable moment and she utilized it in that way. Um, in comparison to that, or maybe contrast in this case, all of the workers who were involved in Gabriel's case totally missed the boat. They were not attending to what I consider to be the very basic tenets of the work that they're responsible for. Even on that check sheet, you know, the, the checklist that people tend to do, even that checklist um, was, could not have been put into the files as a complete, completed uh, job because too many things were not done. Too many very basic things were not done. In this case, I think it was an extreme example of dereliction of duty, but it was indeed a dereliction of their duty. And so, yes, I do believe that they should have lost their job, and I do believe that there was almost a criminality involved in this because of the failure, again, to put eyes on that child during home visits, to ask more questions, and to be relentless in their protection of that young child. And I realized for many of our agencies, the focus is how I'm helping the family, but they didn't even do that. They didn't so, even do that.
0: So you're saying like the fat boys, they should be in jail without the bail. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> oh
3: my wow. God. I, I, I feel something <laughs> coming on. <laughs>
0: so that's- right, fellas, I, what do you guys think? That, I, 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 I kind of went back and forth with that. What, what are your thoughts? <laughs>
1: Uh, I don't get out. Me too. I think that they should have been fired and or reprimanded, whatever that may or may not look like. It's kind of yeah. hard to get to the criminal part just because I don't know enough about the law to find out mm-hmm. what they could actually be charged with. But I absolutely do believe that there is culpability and lack of accountability. And uh, similar to what I said, it, earlier about another uh, person in the case the audacity for them to believe that they did nothing wrong we didn't do anything wrong and use the well we just follow policy as the leverage to live with the fact that you didn't see the child you didn't put eyes on the child you it you didn't even if you talk about policy though it was clear that you didn't do the i want to say the body charts where you're supposed to mark um, right. Uh, the injuries. You didn't even do that part. So technically, you you broke some policy there. Um, mm-hmm. I also believe that there was a huge accountability issue with the sheriff's departments, those who are responsible for law enforcement, uh, and not. Uh, doing the reports Um, and the only nice law enforcement person that I saw was the officers who were interviewing the siblings towards the end of the documentary where they were talking about and ensuring that it was not the siblings fault because that was something that they didn't get into a lot, but that is something that really sat in my skin is how does this affect the siblings who are still alive? Knowing that for months they watched their brother get tortured like that. And Uh that really, really sat with me throughout the thing. And I don't, um, um, but that's that's probably yeah. that's probably about the caseworkers. that's probably my my opinion. They should have been fired or reprimanded, whatever that looked like.
4: Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, I don't know. I don't know about charge, even though I'd felt that felt I originally felt like they should. But then I started thinking about the the tidal wave, especially since there was another case. Yeah. Right. So now us. now are you saying that every young person that dies in our custody? Their no. worker, their worker are, is supposed to be uh, tried, you know, because of of a failed and you know? convicted, and going, and, convicted. <laughs> and going to say Quentin, and to say exactly. <laughs> um, so, so that's that's where I'm kind of torn about the the whole convict the yeah. conviction piece and being tried. Um, but I definitely do think that they should lose their job. Yes. Well, look, I, I'm I, I definitely definitely should
0: have been fired. I, I actually think right now because I rewatched it again. I watched it a while ago um, watched it again to kind of prepare for for this conversation with with you all um, and right now today I absolutely think they should go to jail that they should be in prison that will probably change over time you know but I think it's the immediate emotional yep. response of and, and the hurt you know I can only imagine what his grandparents and his uncles yeah um, you know are feeling you know as a result and, and really kind of feeling their pain and being kind of in it with them and thinking that if that was a relative of mine, that's definitely what I want to happen because they could have and should have that they knew enough to do more and right. they didn't do more. And if had they done more, this kid would be living today. So right now, today on mother's day, I think, yes, they should be in prison. Okay. Now ask me again in six months, it Maybe you know, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, that's less the case, emotional response. Right. Yeah. If
4: that's the case, we won't have we won't have any workers. Yeah. Well, I,
0: I mean, I I don't know that every uh, worker who who um, where a kid dies, you know, should go to jail so I I do think that there's sometimes that a worker has done all that they can do and should do, and kids sometimes still, still die. I mean, they're yep. dying out. You know, like if, if mm-hmm. I'm a worker and they're at a foster home, and you know. Somehow there hasn't been any type of abuse or neglect, you know, before or any, you know, and it happens. I didn't know that, you know, but right. because these folks knew a lot more and didn't do anything, as a result of that, you know, that to me the culpability is is much higher. I think that there's some in some cases it, it may not be as high, but you I, I, I agree with
3: that. That's exactly where I am. Yeah. No, because you know, you just you just something for me. I I, I you know. I totally agree that not every worker where a child dies needs to be charged or in jail or even lose their job because we're still talking about human behavior. If that person has done all they could do to try to protect that child, you do reach a point where there are some things, some some variables that are out of your control. But if I can't point to a file and see that even the minimal response was completed on behalf of that child, just a basic thing, um, then I've got a problem, you know. So there's, there's a, a point at which I can divide um, my, my uh, belief about what should happen. In this case, I just didn't see the minimal even being done on behalf of this child. Absolutely. And that's the criminality for me. That's the culpability for me. Yep. Um, you know, you, you go to the MAC, kids. You, 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 when you become the parent then you become the parent. And uh, if it were your child, you'd go to the mat for them. Yeah. And right. this is your child uh, so do what you need to do in order to protect them. And along the way, if you can help educate the parents, get the right services in there, don't, that's what you're supposed to be doing. But this was like, I'm collecting a paycheck, but I don't have to put much of my activity into this. Um, yeah. And on that's- to the next thing. No, that's not, that's not the way the work gets done.
0: Yeah. So the value should be we, we should kind of place values higher than we place, you know, policy and, and that type of thing. It's almost like they kind of didn't have to. I have an idea, I have a suggestion. Why don't you, Miss Helen, go and take over LA County, DCFS. <laughs> and yes, the three of us will come and be consultants for you.
2: Boom. <laughs> there
3: well you there go. actually are some folks out there that I that I truly enjoy and I know really, you know, uh we're hurt by what happened here and Um, you know, I I, if I could ever go out and support them, I would be glad to do so. I'll just say
0: that. All right. (laughs) right. We might start a hashtag Or let's
3: just take over the world. How about that? We take over the world and really change the system.
1: Last question for you, mom, so we let you get out here and enjoy the rest of your mother's day since they interrupted it. Um, what keeps you (laughs) vigilant and hopeful? that things can get better and that there is always work to be done. For me, that caseworker that they highlighted was great because there are still some out there. And if we could replicate her and clone her, uh, that'd be great. But what as you as an advocate, um, as a director, as an expert, what keeps you what gives you hope uh, for Child Protective Services? Listening to the elements.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, you know, in this case, it would be it would be the Commodores. It would be Zoom, right? Uh, I'd like to fly away. I have to be hopeful that there's something better happening out there. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh! There has to be hope in this, because if I'm strictly looking at it from the standpoint of what has happened or the fearfulness of it, no, what these cases do is pull something better out of us. And those of us who are really in this, really in it to win it, we're not going to give up, because there is hope in transforming the system. There's the Zoom,
0: right? There's the Zoom. Yeah, that's it. You, you know, I, I, uh, I and I'll say this, and, and no offense to, to you, because I know that you are an attorney by trade, but I have never been a fan of attorneys. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: but I, I think what gave me hope, me. In, as as far as this documentary is concerned, was the district attorney, who was yeah, the uh, absolutely yeah. relentless in he he his effort, even after yeah. they came after his family. Um, his wife, his children, I mean, I, I, I probably would have been like, all right, well, yeah, he wasn't that important, you know, but he was relentless and kept going after this. And I think that if it wasn't for his dedication to this young man and seeing um, Gabriel as a human being, I don't know what this is, you know, I don't know that this would have ever come um, to, the, to where it came to and um, him just having I think you know his him reaching out to to the dad Gabriel's yeah biological father. Yeah that was amazing to me. And that that gave me hope. And his insights.
1: I'm sorry to cut you off, Mike, but his insights and recognize like his dad has lost hope in the system. So I Mm -hmm. understand it, but I want to make sure he is along the way and his father feels guilty for what happened to Gabriel. And so I can understand that it could have been an adversary relationship because you know I'm a prosecutor, you know, he's a convicted. Yeah, it was prosecuted the
0: dad. Yeah several times it's it's just crazy. And so that yeah, that, I think that, was, right. that, that thing kind of gave me the most hope. And, and you know, I, I guess my hope is, is that maybe all attorneys aren't as bad as I thought they were. A <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear
3: that. I, I'm like, really glad to hear that. But I would like, say yeah, about you him, and the DA. He, yeah, me and the DA. He <laughs> becomes it. for me the litmus test of what all the characters in these cases need to be like. All of the people who come into this system need to function the way he did unrelenting, compassionate, and forgiving where necessary, right? Because yeah. it's people, There's people issues, but not forgiving of people who simply just don't do the job, right? Yep. Holding people accountable.
1: Absolutely.
4: Well, miss miss helen i want to say thank you for taking your mother's day to hang out with us and joke around and and talk some serious chop and you know we're thankful for all the work that you do uh for the state of ohio for the city of dayton um the county of montgomery she's done a lot of of and
1: for her favorite son
3: and and there you go. We don't know his name, but if he his name we don't.
2: We don't. I'm pretty sure one of them is not named major.
3: Well, I thank you all. You all made my mother's day. You know, it's it's about it's about my kids and well, here we are, right? So hey, thank you all if, for making this special for me today.
0: All right, thanks, Mom. Welcome. Would you would you be interested in coming back on another podcast sometime? Was
3: it Oh, I'd okay? love to. Awesome. I hope you Thank will you. invite me back again. I enjoyed being with you today. Thank you so much.
1: All right, mom. Talk to you later. Love you.
3: Love you. Love you all. Thank you.
4: See you.
3: All
2: right. Love you too. See ya. my dream.
4: You know, Lionel Richie was my daddy.
0: That, that was a Commodore's Lionel Richie. I think it was the, uh, um, It was great. That, that we was, like, that was, I loved it. Are we amazing. still recording or we, we, yes, we're still on the, we're still we're on still the air. Still recording. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> <laughs> you was like, you was about to process it. Song, that, that was, that was, that was awesome. I love Miss Allen. Yeah. I love my mom. She's awesome. Hey, we do this today. Haha, <laughs> but you only get it weekly.
1: We'll
4: see you next week on another episode of the Daily Jam. I know I I
2: know jam. Jam. Why don't
1: you me?